I'm thinking it'll be probably about 6 or 6.30, and it'll be a short thing. It'll be half an hour or less. So um, it'll basically just be a, a devotional, uh, devotional type thing that I'll be doing to share to get us thinking about Good Friday and um, what our sin, what our sin, the price that our sin uh, cost. And so uh, anyway, I would just invite you to come back next week for Easter and, and to log in for uh, Good Friday as well. We're in the midst of a series, and if you've been following along, you know this, so yeah, it's going to sound like a retread, but when I tell you that we're in the midst of a series called Greatest Sermon Ever, and in this series we're marching through the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew, specifically Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew 5 through 7. So if you've got a Bible or a device with you to look up Scripture, uh, go ahead and open to chapter 6 of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. And that's where we're going to be camped out today. Now today's passage, you're going to look at it, it's pretty long, it's 18 verses, um, and it includes the section on the Lord's Prayer. Now because of the way the passage unfolds, the way the Sermon on the Mount unfolds, we're going to cover it as a larger section today as a whole, and then in the next sermon in this series, which will take place sometime after Easter, we will actually talk about the Lord's Prayer itself. So we're going to like take a view of the whole passage as a whole, and then we're going to come back and hit that specific section on the Lord's Prayer. So just be aware of that. But this morning, as we begin, I want you to think about this question. What reasons do people give for why they don't go to church? It, if we were to ask around town, if you were to go around town to all those people who do not attend church, by the way, that's quite a few in this town, um, and, and every town, not just our town, but um, I, there, I've looked at some of the statistics on who, who is uninvolved in a church in our area, and it's a lot, okay, so there is a huge mission field. But if you were to go around and ask people what reasons they have for not going to church, and ask all of them, what do you think their response would be? What answers have you heard that people give you when you ask them to come to church, because you are inviting people to come to church, right? Uh, don't, you know, don't answer out loud, right? Or maybe when you start talking about your church around them, or start talking about church or God around them in particular, what answers do they give? Maybe you've heard some of these. The services are boring. Now, the services are just too long. The church, they only want my money. Maybe they would tell you that, that the church hurt them or they were deeply hurt by someone closely connected to a church. And that, and, and that happens all the time. It's happened to me. Maybe they'd say, I don't like organized religion. Or maybe they say, the church has become too entangled with politics. I mean, I say that, but I still come to church. But anyway, that's a whole other thing, Right? Or maybe you hear them say, my needs are just not being met. Maybe you've heard some of these reasons for people staying away from church. Heck, maybe you've given those as reasons for staying away from church sometimes. However, I'd say probably if you were to survey over you know, many, many years of history, probably the number one excuse that's given, and you didn't hear it in the list, and if you know what I'm talking about, you'll know it's, the church is full of hypocrites, right? I, I'm, I'm seeing agreement on your faces. Have you ever heard anyone say this? Th think about how you responded to that statement when you heard them say that. 
If you've, if you've never heard anyone say that, you probably will eventually, uh, but, but if you've never heard anyone say that, think about how you would respond to that statement. Well, today, what I'm putting before you is the truth that they're not wrong. They're right. Guilty as charged. The church is, in fact, full of all sorts of sinners, and that includes hypocrites. That's why we need to be in church. So, yes, the church does have hypocrites. I also want to warn you today that we are dangerously susceptible to the sin of hypocrisy in our own lives. And if we come to an understanding of this, then it should seem somewhat appropriate to us that Jesus would address hypocrisy directly in the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually of great concern to Jesus. In fact, the word hypocrite appears over a dozen times in the Gospel of Matthew alone. Over a dozen times. So we must be careful and pay attention to this. When something's repeated like that in Scripture, it means it's important. Pay attention. So let's pray and ask God to open our hearts to his word and the work of his Holy Spirit, and then we'll dive into Matthew chapter 6. Let's, let's pray. God, I thank you for um, just your goodness in calling me here to Hope Bible Fellowship. Father, as I look around the room and I see, uh, I see folks I've known since I got here, I've seen new folks, I've seen, uh, man, I, I'm just so thankful for the people that you have, uh, you've called me to minister to. And I'm not worthy. None of us in here are worthy, but by the grace of God, go we. Father, I just pray you'd speak through your word to your people. God, that if there are those here who don't believe, who've never trusted in you, Jesus, for salvation, that today would be their day of salvation, that you would reach into their hearts and change them. Father, there are those of us who are going to be stung by some of what we hear Um, we're going to be stung by the truth of our own hypocrisy. I pray you'd bring us quickly to repentance because we know that your grace is, is big enough even for our hypocrisy. Help us believe. And God, I pray that you would clear out anything that's just of me, my opinion, anything that might get in the way of, of the work you are going to do here. I pray you would increase and I would decrease. Jesus, you really would be big here, that you'd be glorified and lifted high in what goes on in the next few minutes. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. 
Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the inerrant word of God. And once again, as we read through this passage, there's a phrase, there's a, there's a line that you've heard me reference a few times in the last several weeks, and I didn't make it up, okay? I quoted my, my friend, my, my old college roommate, Greg McGee, who's also a pastor, who, who said this as we were discussing our sermons one week, and then I read it in a commentary, so I'm not sure he came up with it either. But anyway, uh, it is this, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. It means when we get down to it, when we're dealing with all these things we've been talking about, whether it be loving your enemies, right? Or going the extra mile. That was a good callback in the announcements, AJ, this morning. I caught that. Uh, whether we, we talk about, you know, not striking back, turning the other cheek, whatever we're talking about, um, it's going to come down to our heart motivation. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Jesus speaks to our motives for religious action here, and that's what we're going to focus on this morning in this passage is the motives for religious action, because that's what will ultimately is going to help us know whether we're being hypocrites or not. So I want to give you a key statement. Now this is, if you had to take one statement from this morning and write it down and be like, okay, that's what this is about, this is the key statement. Now, that does not mean you can take a nap now. Okay, now that you know. But here's the key statement this morning is, the motive of the Christ follower must be different and distinguished from that of the unbeliever. The motive of a Christ follower. So if you are someone who follows Jesus Christ, you are a Christian, someone who has been bought by the blood of Christ, adopted in the family of God, then our motive, your motive, must be different and it must be distinguished from that of an unbeliever, some, someone who is still living in the world, someone who is still in bondage to their sin. Our motive must be different. That doesn't mean that we always act right on our motive, okay? But our motive for what we do should be different and distinguished from that of the unbelieving world. During the message today, as I, as I talk about this, I want you to think about this question. What motivates your spiritual behavior? What motivates the religious things you do? Now, I know there's a danger in talking about religion because people say, well, it's not religion, it's relationship. Yes, it is, okay? But when we're talking about religious activity, we're talking about devotion, prayer, fasting, things like that, things we do in devotion to God, okay? We would lump that in the term religious activity or spiritual behavior, okay? So I'm, I'm using those terms kind of interchangeably this morning. But what motivates 
your spiritual behavior. Jesus is dealing with three aspects of first century Judaism, which would be giving, prayer, and fasting. Okay, some of you are like, uh, you preached on giving a few months ago. It's too early for that. Nope, sorry. It's, it's Jesus. It's not me. All right? So, so he's dealing with these three. And those are, if you think about it, prayer, giving, prayer, and fasting, those are really three of the core, um, you would say, pillars of even living a devoted religious life. Obviously, number one we would put in there would be spending time in the Word of God, Okay? But giving, prayer, and fasting. So let's just dive in. First thing he wants us to know is what? Right there, beginning, you know, beginning even in verse 1. He says, beware. Beware. Pay attention. Like, look out for these things, right? Pay careful attention. Number one, pay attention to your motives when you give. <clears throat> pay attention to your motives when you give. First of all, I want to point out that Jesus seems to be assuming something in this statement, right? When he says in verse 2, thus, when you give to the needy, and then he continues, he seems to be assuming that his followers who he's speaking to are going to give to the needy because he says, when you give to the needy, when you give to the the needy. He doesn't say if you give. He says when you give. Our disposition as Christ followers when it comes to giving must be one of obedience and generosity. So we must be being obedient in our giving and Jesus talks about money all the time but also we must be generous with it. Now I want to kind of do a call back to chapter 5 In verse 20, when Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what we're going to be talking about is a lot of this religious activity that the scribes and Pharisees would have been very proud of doing, especially very proud of doing in public. Excuse me. I know I opened that bottle like three minutes ago and just was, I know some of you were like, he's going to spill it, he's going to spill it. I'm just kidding. Maybe some of you were hoping, I don't know. But uh, I realized I opened it, I was just holding it. Anyway, sorry, that's not part of the sermon. It's a, it's a rookie mistake there for some, a guy that's been doing it a little bit. But anyway, so, so Jesus, remember he says that, that your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes of the Pharisees. And the point was, all of their religious activity, the things they were doing, didn't matter a hill of beans because their heart was not his. And so all your activity, it didn't matter, all, all those righteous things. And here he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. But, but here's the thing, he, he says to beware of practicing it in front of other people to be seen by them. Now, the end of that verse is very key because those last five words or so is to be seen by them. It's what differentiates this command from what we see in Matthew 5.16, right? Matthew 5.16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Well, I thought I was supposed to let my good works shine before men so that they give glory to God. But here you're saying, beware of practicing your righteousness in front of others. Well, the difference is that last part. 
to be seen by them. Others seeing our good works will cause them to give glory to God. The problem is when we are motivated to do good works so that people see us do them. It's a problem of motive. We are not to seek fanfare or make a big show of our doing the things that we're supposed to do as followers of Christ. Ultimately, when we do things specifically to be seen by others, we are in some way seeking praise for ourselves for what we have done. And we're not to do them with fanfare. We're not to make a big show of it. You know, as I was preparing this, it's funny, there's an old, there's an old meme that, that was popular, it's been around, and I saw it pop back up in my Facebook feed. If you don't know what a meme is, it's a picture with words and it's funny, okay, or ironic, all right? That's the best way I can explain it, okay? It's like modern political cartoons or something like that, only not political always, but sometimes. But anyway, so there was this meme that popped back up. And when I thought of this idea of doing something with the wrong motive, doing something so you could say, look what I did, I thought of this, this meme. Go ahead and put that up there, Maven. Yeah, right here. <laughs> because I don't think he did the dishes just to be, right? It's, it's hey, I'm, look what I did. And the wife's like, you know, so what, right? I'm just going to tell a story on myself. Sometimes I'll do the dishes. And I'll tell Bethany, I said, hey, I did the dishes. She'll say, wow, gold star for you. (laughs) I don't know exactly what she's thinking during that moment, but it's probably something like, well, I gave birth to three kids and (laughs) nursed them. And, you know, I don't know. Anyway. The Jews, here's the thing. The Jews loved to the Hebrews back then, they loved to be, they celebrated public and visible displays of religious devotion. So when Jesus tells his followers to do these things privately or in secret, would have been a rather shocking statement to the Jews who were listening to him because they were, they were excited and celebrated these public religious um, displays. So Jesus, again, we see with this, He just continues to take what they think of being godly and turn it on its head. And he's done that throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said this, but I tell you this. This is what's been taught, but here's what actually matters. They say don't do these actions, but I say the heart really matters. You know, kind of that type of thing. Dallas Willard uh, wrote this, I think it was in his book, Divine Conspiracy. Desire for religious respect or reputation will immediately drag us into the, right, or the, excuse me, into the rightness of scribes and Pharisees because they desire always, excuse me, because that desire always focuses entirely upon the visible action, not on the source of action in the heart. So when we desire to be lauded or praised for our outward religious activity, the desire for that always comes from that that want, that need, that that desire for other people to think we're great, and never comes from uh, never comes from a, a center of true devotion within the heart. 
And the Bible talks about giving a lot, as I mentioned earlier. It talks about giving more than some people are comfortable with, actually. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, we're not going to go there, but if you want to jot it down for later, but they tell us something about how we should give in those chapters. It says our giving should be sacrificial and joyful, and we should give liberally and thankfully, but here in the Sermon on the Mount, we find that we need to give without seeking the praise of others. Now, there's this word hypocrite that I keep using, right? Hypocrite, hypocrisy, and we probably all have a basic definition in our minds of what that means or we kind of know someone maybe we've thought of that dude's a hypocrite or maybe we've been called that or you know something like that but of the word hypocrite Charles Quarles points this out and he 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 writes this the word hypocrites probably not pronouncing that correctly originally referred to a play actor who performed on the stage of the Greek or Roman theater The verbal form of the word was frequently used in Jewish writings in the time between the writing of the Old and New Testament to speak of the act of pretending. Many ancient play actors aspired to be celebrities adored by the masses. Sounds like Instagram influencers or something. They lived for the thrill of standing ovations and the prizes and awards sometimes presented for excellent dramatic performances. The hypocrites to whom Jesus referred were spiritual play actors who pretended to have a piety that they did not actually possess in order to inspire the applause of a human audience. They were just playing make-believe. They were pretending to be holy. They were pretending to be like religiously religious superstars in order to get the applause of others when in reality it was like putting on a costume. In Matthew uh, 15, 7 through 9, Jesus appealed to actually Isaiah 29, 13 to describe hypocrisy. Hypocrites, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. This suggests that hypocrisy involves pretended devotion to God, empty worship, and the substitution of human authority for divine authority. They've taken that, they, not, not God's approval, but the approval of man, and they've taken that, that divine authority that, that we should be submitted under, and they've exchanged it for a human authority. Hypocrite, play actor, pretender. Sinclair Ferguson gives us something additional on this. He says, in ancient drama, actors did not wear makeup. So the hypocrites, the, the actors, they did not wear makeup. They wore masks. <laughs> Representing the part they played. What a vivid picture that gives us of the hypocrite. He pretends to be one thing, but all the time he's really something altogether different. When we wear a mask, not the COVID kind. That's what I was laughing about. I knew it was coming, I still laughed. When we wear a mask, it can seem to benefit us. Because we put on the mask, we pretend to be this thing that we're really not, and people celebrate us. People are happy for us. They think we're great. They look up to us. They want to be like us. And we've gotten that reward, 
And we miss out on what is a greater reward with our Heavenly Father. So when you give, give seeking to please the Lord. Give seeking. When you give to the needy, give seeking to please the Lord. When you give to the church, give seeking to please the Lord. When you, I, I realize he says when you give to the needy, but I, I, I think Jesus would have us give, if we're going to be generous and obedient in our giving, that we give to please him, not to please others. You know, uh, to kind of illustrate this, I, I heard about this um, from another guy on a, a call I was at a few weeks ago. But you know the story of the widow's mite? He was u- using that story, maybe not in a super complete way, but the guy I was, I was listening to, um, basically, uh, Jesus said what this widow, had. everybody would go by and put their money in the box. So they had a little place where people would come and would give their offerings back then, right? And some churches still have that, um, different, but, but similar. And you walk by and you put your, well, we have a plate out there, right? And you put it in there. And she dropped in everything she had. And it wasn't much. And you know it, his point was it would make a sound. People would, would you know, get what she had, that she had given not much. And Jesus' point was she gave out of, all, out of what she didn't have. I mean, out of everything she had, right? But the idea is that was a public giving thing, right? And they could hear what hit. And so just thinking in, for context of this, when he says, give to please, when he says you shouldn't give to be, you know, you don't want to give for other people's applause, right? Because they would, when they dropped their coins in there, you could tell if it was a chunk of change hitting the bottom of the box, right? It's like when we pass a plate, which right now we don't do, it's out there, but you know, you walk by and you're like, I'm going to write my, okay, and I'm going to put that on the top so they can see that I gave this, you know. And it's motivated not by the fact that you want to please God, but that you want someone else to see that you were faithful. And in doing so, you've sought after the approval of others. We're not to give for the approval of others so that they think, oh, look how generous he is, or wow, she's so devoted because she gave so much. We're not looking to put others in a position of being in awe of us. Our whole job here is to point them to God and not try to somehow steal some of the praise that is due him and only him. Puts it in a different light. When we are seeking praise for a godly thing we do, we're actually like trying to take some of the praise for us that should belong only to God, that only he is worthy of. So that's pay attention to our motives when we give. Second is pay attention to your motives when you pray. And he covers this in verses 5 through 8. You know, prayer is... Prayer is a thing that I would dare say most of us could probably improve on. Okay? Maybe not as much as we need to improve on fasting, which is later. But prayer, I would dare say... You know, um, there's a story about Martin Luther, the great reformer, that um, somebody was asking him about how, why he prayed, you know, pray, he prayed so much. And he said something to the effect of, I'm, I'm, I'm busier today than I was yesterday. I'm really busy today, so I need to spend two hours in prayer instead of just one. 
The idea wasn't he was too busy to pray, but he was too busy not to pray. And I, I know that's kind of a cliche that you might hear or see on the internet. But it's really true that, that when it comes to prayer, and, and here's what uh, Don Whitney writes about prayer. God not only has spoken clear, clearly and powerfully to us through Christ and the scriptures, but he also has a very large ear continuously open to us. He will hear every prayer of his children, even when our prayers are weaker than a snowflake. That's why, of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is second only to the intake of God's word in importance. Despite the penultimate importance of prayer, however, statistical surveys and experience seem to agree that a large percentage of professing Christians spend little time in sustained prayer. While they may offer a sentence of prayer here and there throughout their day, they rarely spend more than a very few minutes, if that alone in conversation with God. It's very easy to make people feel guilty about failure in prayer, but we must come to grips with the fact that to be like Jesus, we must pray. To help us become more like Jesus when we pray, our master gives us some basic guidelines and principles, okay? Some basic guidelines and principles. We're going to cover these, and then we're going to come back and hit the Lord's Prayer, like I said, um, in the next sermon in this series. But the first principle would be pray sincerely to your Heavenly Father. Pray sincerely to your Heavenly Father. Prayer should be a regular habit. Um, just a, look, this is bare bones practical thing that I'm going to tell you, but I have a to-do app on my phone and I have a list of things that pop up to be done every day. It's just recurring. I mark it off today, and it pops back up for tomorrow. And one of them is pray. <laughs> really basic. But as long as I look at it, now if I don't pull the app out and look at it, that's a problem. But you pull it out and look at it, and it says pray, and I pray. Prayer should be a regular habit. Hypocrites are not sincere in their prayers. When they pray, they pray for show. They, they would stand out so people could see them. Two questions will help us evaluate or motivate, or excuse me, evaluate our own motivations to tell us if we're being hypocrites in our prayers. So two questions that I want you to just think about. You might want to write these down, kind of ask yourself these questions as you pray during the week. I think they're really, they're really good for that. Number one, do you pray longer in public than you do in private? Some of you say, well, I don't pray in public. But if you're asked to pray at a meeting or pray before a class, and we, I mean, I, some of you know my, my side, one of my side gigs is teaching PE at a Christian school. And so I pray before first hour with the, or during first hour with the kids before we start. Do I pray longer in public than you do in private? Second question to think about, do you pray differently in public than you do in private? I know a guy, not going to say his name, just in case he ever happens upon this video. But I know a guy back in my hometown, in Iowa, and every time he would pray, and I'm not, look, I am not arguing his sincerity or anything by this, okay? But when he would pray, he would switch to King James English, Elizabethan English. He'd pray with these and nines and thous. And when you talk to the guy... Just walking around town, he didn't talk like that. <laughs> and he would, like, he would like switch and pray differently when he was praying for the offering at church or something or to end the service than he would. Now, I don't, now, 
Now, just understand, in private, I think he also prayed like that. So that doesn't fully qualify like this. But if you flip a switch and pray differently in front of people than you do when you're by yourself, or if you pray only in front of people when you're asked and don't spend time in prayer at home, you might be a hypocrite. This could almost be like that Jeff Foxworthy, you might be a redneck thing. You might be a hypocrite if. Number two, so that, number one was pray sincerely to your heavenly father. Number two is pray secretly to your heavenly father. Hypocrites pray so they'll be seen by people to gain the approval of a human audience. Um, I pray before my meals most of the time. I went to a Christian college. It was really interesting uh, there was almost a peer pressure to pray before your food, which is really a whole interesting subculture thing. But you'd get there, and you'd sit down with your tray, and you'd be at a big, long table, and you'd be like 80 of your friends around you, and you'd sit down, and if you were the last one, you'd sit down, and you'd start talking, and you'd look over, and your buddy's head's bowed, and he's, he's praying. He's just not even going to. And uh, the point, though, is sometimes... I think we need to evaluate our motivations. I, I, how many times have you been sitting at a table with a bunch of Christians? And, uh, you know, I've been a play, even with a bunch of pastors, be at a conference or something, we're sit down, it's time to eat, guys start eating, and somebody's like, well, hey, why don't we pray? I'm not judging their motivation in particular. But what I want to think about is when we do things like that, what is our motivation if we do things like that? See, hypocrites, they want to be seen. They want to be approved. They're going to stand out on the corner and give their prayerful devotion because it's lauded and celebrated. And look how holy that guy is. He prayed for eight and a half minutes before his food at Denny's. And if you want to do that, that's fine. If that's your sincere devotion to the Lord, go for it. That's, so please don't hear me say what I'm not saying. I'm kind of using some examples, and they don't all necessarily exactly fit. But the true believer prays for the pleasure and the approval of his heavenly Father. If you're not praying, like, let's take before your meal, okay? And if you're not praying to give thanks to God for your food and for his approval and you in some way just want to be seen by the waitress so she thinks you're really holy or whatever, then I think you need to evaluate your motive. Number three, pray specifically to your heavenly father. Pray specifically to your heavenly father. Um, I'm going to share another practical tip in just a minute. Um, But don't pray like pagans. Don't pray like pagans. Jesus, I mean, he even says that, right? Number seven, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be repeating nonsense over and over again while you're praying. Like, you can tell Jesus, you can tell God, tell him once in the prayer, and he's got it. Repeating something over and over like some kind of mantra that's going to help you actually get what you're praying for, like Jesus is going to listen to you more because you yelled this thing over and over at him. Don't, just don't. Don't just be repeating nonsense over and over again. Tell your heavenly father what you as his child want to pray about. Do it secretly to 
not, not that you're keeping your faith a secret, okay, but go before the Lord. And you can pray in public, that's fine. We ask people to pray in meetings and before church, and that's okay. But that should be motivated similarly to the way your home prayer life is, not so that you can be seen as, as more holy or be lauded by people. Here's a helpful tip for this. I can fall into this if I'm not careful, okay? Now, I'm not saying it's bad to repeat, Jesus, I love you, Jesus, I love you, Jesus, I love you, but as I'm praying, sometimes my mind gets distracted and I find that I'm just starting to repeat stuff as I'm sitting there praying. So, here's a couple of helpful tips. Number one would be, have a list of things to pray. So, you know, you want to start out by praying for your spouse and your kids, list their names, and then whatever else you want to pray about. Keep a list of it. And number two, and this is what I actually do. Sometimes I have a list, but here's my actual number one, um, my number one prayer tip for you, if you will. I can't believe it came out of my mouth like that, but my number one prayer tip is this. Write your prayers out as you pray. So I have a little notebook that I keep next to my chair where my Bible and stuff are. And in it, after I'm done, I do my Bible reading, and there's a podcast I listen to that kind of goes through the reading as well. And then I put the date in there in that book, and dear Lord, or dear Jesus, or, and I start writing my prayers. And it, it's kind of no different than, you know, if you're, if you're keeping a journal or whatever, right? Except I'm writing what I'm saying to God as I pray. And if I feel like I've gotten distracted in it or whatever, I will, when I'm done, I will go through and reread it and pray it over. But here's what that does. Here's what writing my prayers out does. It makes me slow down. Makes me slow down. It makes me really think about what I'm saying. So I'm not saying like, you know, Father God or Lord or Jesus or, you know, like like 85 times during the prayer, like he forgot his name. Okay? Because I'm susceptible to all that stuff, just like you all are, right? Uh, And maybe you're not, and that's great. So, like, I write them out, and it makes me slow down. It makes me focus on what I'm writing. It makes me concentrate, and it also gives me a record. I can look back a year ago and read about what I was praying about while we were locked down. You know? I can go back and read about those things. And I can see where God answered those prayers. You know what I was praying about a year ago? Anybody have any idea? Don't, don't say it out loud, but just think in your mind, what was Pastor Cal praying about a year ago? I was praying about whether or not I should, uh, if voted in at this little church in Dixon, Illinois, if I should become their pastor. Pretty cool. Because, uh, I don't know if you noticed or not, but I'm the pastor here now. And so I can look back and say, God answered that prayer. Pay attention to your motives when you pray. Number three, and we got to hurry because I'm going to go over time. Which, by the way, there's no time limit, so it's all self-imposed. Number three, pay attention to your motives when you fast. I'm just going to tell you, I'm not good at fasting. You probably looked at me and you thought, no. I'm not good at fasting. And I I recognize that fasting has kind of become a popular way of dieting right now. uh, And that's not what we're talking about, okay? 
The purpose of fasting, biblically, is abstaining from eating or drinking, sometimes other things, for the purpose of devoting that time to prayer, devotion, or mourning, or grieving, or repentance. And this can be done corporately as a group or individually. So examples of corporate fasting, uh, one in particular, would be Israel on the Day of Atonement. They fasted as a group, as a nation. And we see, we can look through scripture and find examples of that. So it can be done, like we as a church could at some point say, uh, we've got this thing coming up and uh, we want to fast for the three days before this thing or for a day before this thing or whatever, whatever it is, right? And, and, and devote that time to pray, prayer. Or individually, you could say, I'm going to fast this week. I'm going to, you know, take in enough juice or whatever you need at night to keep your, you know, stay alive, Right? But, but to, and, and, and there are guides out there and ways you can do it and do it well. But then that hour that I have off at lunchtime, I'm not going to spend eating. I'm going to actually spend that praying. And that would be a great time to get out your little journal and start writing your prayers out. <laughs> or however you want to do it. You don't have to do it the way I do it. I don't expect that, okay? It's just been really helpful for me. So pay attention to your motives when you fast. How do you do that? Well, don't draw attention to yourself. Again, Jesus uses the word here, when, when you fast. This shows that it's actually expected that Christians will occasionally fast. Now, he talks about the people going around looking gloomy in verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward the, gloom, the word gloomy could also be translated sad-faced. I love that. I'm having a great time up here, by the way. I hope you are, but I'm having fun. It can be translated sad-faced. So these hypocrites who are fasting and looking all sad, they, they were sad-faced actors who were going around uh, when they would fast and just looking gloomy, like looking like something's wrong with you. Maybe they hoped someone would ask, what's wrong? And then they could reply and tell of their amazing religious piety in depriving themselves of food. They were interested in being approved of and lauded by men. And they actually cared very little for God's approval. They might argue you on that. They actually, by their actions, showed what was in their heart. That they did not care for God's approval. Understand, you may be fooling some people, but you will never fool sovereign God. These people got the temporal praise of men, but they would miss out on the eternal treasure and pleasure of God in heaven. They were foolish. Let it not be said the same of us. So, don't draw attention to yourself. And second, just act normal when you fast. Just act normal. Don't make it weird. Your audience, when you do spiritual disciplines, is one person. It's an audience of one, and it's God. Nothing we do in devotion to the Lord should be done with anyone else's praise sought. Now here, we come to a temptation or a weak area for those of us who, by the very nature of our calling or service in the church, end up being in front of people when we pray or do other religious activity. 
But let there be no mistake. You could be just as much of a hypocrite if the only spiritual things you do are done at church because it's what you do instead of done with the right motive of worshiping and serving King Jesus. If the only spiritual things you do are done because you're a deacon or an elder, a pastor, or because you're the pastor's wife, or because you're the uh, deacon's wife, or because you're a Sunday school teacher, you can be just as much of a hypocrite serving all the time in the church as you can be if you just show up. So the question is, why do you do what you do? I'm going to invite the musicians to come on up. I want, to, I want to challenge you that we must be vigilant. It all comes down to the motive of our heart. And in reality, your motive for the action is more important than the actual action itself. We do what we do. Why do we do what we do? Well, let me, let me share this very long <laughs> run-on sentence with you. In biblical counseling, this is one of the main things we talk about with people. It's a phrase I learned at the training um, a few years ago, and it's this. We do what we do because we want what we want because we worship what we worship. We do what we do because we want what we want because we worship what we worship. And unfortunately, what we most desire to see worshipped and what we actually do worship many times is ourselves. We've made ourselves, our wants, our fame, our popularity, our religious reputation, all of that into an idol, and we act out of that motive in worship to ourselves. So my challenge today is don't be a hypocrite, don't be a poser. You know what a poser is? Poser. We, so when, in college, I ran with a group of guys, and we were really into... Um, like alternative music and punk punk rock, a lot of punk rock and ska and hardcore and stuff like that. And uh, this was this whole thing that was, there was this movie about it and stuff, and it was all, don't be a poser. And it was like guys who weren't really into that stuff, but they tried to look it and dress it and everything. Don't be a poser. Be who you are in Christ. And here's the thing. If you find yourself in that position where you're like, okay, my motive here is not lining up with what the Bible says the heart condition of, 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 a, of a child of God should be. Then just repent. Turn away from it. Believe the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that he died for all of your sin. Look, next week, we are going to celebrate Easter. And that on Good Friday, we remember that Jesus went to the cross. He was perfect. He had never sinned. And he willingly gave his life on the behalf of sinners, like stepped into our place, absorbed the wrath of God due for us on the cross and died dead and was buried. And three days later, by the power of God, he was raised from the dead, showing that God accepted that sacrifice as payment once and for all for all of our sin. And that includes you being a hypocrite. Isn't that good news? And I've screwed this thing up time and time again. I've been following Jesus for a long time and I messed it up week after week after week and he still offers me forgiveness because he's given me. He took the wrath that was due me, the punishment that was due me and he gave me his righteousness, his right standing before God put on me. And so when God looks at me, he doesn't see my sin anymore. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
And if we trust in him, if we trust in him, we believe on him, we surrender to him as Lord, we repent of our sin, believe the good news that we'll have life, abundant life and eternal life with him. I want to invite you to that today. Would you stand up with me, please? If you are someone who you don't know Jesus, you, this Jesus that I talk about is not the same one you've heard about. And you want to talk more about that and find out how you can start a relationship with him. I would love to talk with you after service. If you're someone who finds yourself and said, man, Pastor Cal, I really feel like I've been messing up this thing. I, I, I've been acting out and motivated by the wrong things. I've been a hypocrite. I'm happy to talk with you. But who you really need to talk with is the Lord. And just repent of your sin. Turn away from it. That means change how you think and how you act towards your sin. Turn away from your sin and turn towards Him. And if you need help figuring out how to do those, maybe some practical things, I'm happy to help you with that. We've got people here who would love to help you with that, who would love to pray for you, pray with you. It's not just me. I know I could be kind of intimidating, okay? Apparently, I've heard that over the years. But we've got all kinds of people. we got deacons and we got ladies and we got different people who would love to share with you how you can be right with God, how you can move forward and live with those right motivations. Let me pray and then uh, we're going to worship for a bit. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for 